This is the Little Moments Count radio podcast, created in partnership with community radio stations throughout Minnesota. Each episode, you'll hear interviews with early childhood experts on how to support the important brain development that takes place in the first 1,000 days of life, just through Little Moments every day. Learn more at littlemomentscount.org slash podcast. Good day to be indigenous. They are going to become more brutal. Cody Cuff, Henny Cuff, because all the hippies are trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and I'm your host, Wakanja Hade. Hey, Kadagi to all my friends and relatives in four directions. You are listening to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. And today, you know, we're going to be dealing with, uh, uh, we're excited to be partnering with Little Moments Count to host uh, conversations focused on early childhood and development. Very interesting uh, things happening all over Turtle Island. And uh, we'll be welcoming uh, our monthly guests here to talk about how they view the role of early childhood development in creating bright futures and strong communities. So really excited uh, today to have that show. Uh, we've been partnering with them for a couple months here and it's really been, um, well, you know, it's been awesome. I like using that word awesome too, almost too uh to uh, a, a sickening uh, way. Oh, hey, for more information, uh, you can visit a littlemoments.org, uh, littlemomentscount.org. And so again, really excited today to have a couple guests on and we're going to be uh, quizzing them and talking about good things. And and there there it is, Ogama popped it up there. Um, we got a couple people that'll be joining us here and uh, we're going to have a good conversation. So I, I don't know, Ogama, are you uh, available? I know that you're doing double duty. Yes. Yeah, I'm here. So hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake. Um, and our guests tonight are Tammy Wickstrom, the exep- executive director of um, Anji Bamadazine. And then uh, Babata Melissa Boyd, who's the deputy assistant in the chief chief's executive office. And they're both uh, working with the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe. So really excited to hear about their early childhood education programs over there. Thank you. Miigwech. So uh, I'm Tammy Wickstrom. I'm the executive director at Anjiba Madazing, which is a service department at the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe. And it does many, many things including tribal TANF, workforce development, jobs placement and training, and child care assistance. And I am the former, uh, was the former director at Mille Lacs Early Education for many years and ran their Head Start, Early Head Start and Child Care. Well, welcome, welcome. And then uh, I don't want to butcher your name, so do you mind uh, saying your name, Miss Boyd? Um, my name is Bobby Tao, and uh, my full name is Bobby Tao Gijigukwe, but I try to be easy on people and I go by Bobito. Um, yeah, formerly Melissa. Um, all of my childhood friends um, and family call me Melissa. Um, hard habit to break that English. Um, anyhow, I currently serve as the deputy assistant for Chief Executive Benjamin, um, who is the um, 
head of the executive branch department within the Mille Lacs tribal government. Um, located here in central Minnesota, um, right next to the big lake. And um, I am, uh, I currently serve and support the chief executive's office. Um, I've served in advisory positions um, on language revitalization. And I am um, in a former life, I was an Ojibwe language immersion teacher for close to six years. And I worked closely with Tammy um, to, uh, to execute Ojibwe language immersion for preschool. So um, uh, Ojibwe language student, teacher, and now administrator. Miigwech for having us. Yeah, exciting. And uh, we've been talking about this and we talk about this, but it sounds like, you know, we really want to touch heavy on this is that how important and why is it so important that our, our little ones learn our language? Um, I know I've talked uh, about, you know, I have some uh, godchildren that are uh, Mexican and and when they were little, they didn't talk for a long time. So there were all these uh, these neurons and things shooting out there that um, all of a sudden when they started talking, they could speak both Spanish and English. And it was it blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Bobito, do you want to answer that first? Um, I'll let you go for the, the, the speech side and then I'll hit it with the immersion part. Oh. Yeah. And I think that you hit on some of it with the neuron development. We know a lot about uh, brain development now that we didn't used to know even like 25 years ago when I had kids. But we know that that first three years in particular is the most critical for children. And the more things you do with them, um, and that includes language and touching and physical activities. But the more things that children are exposed to, the more neurons they build or those pathways in their brain. And it's easier for little kids to learn language. And just like your example with your with your little children in your life, they have learned that language so much easier. And now as an adult, when I'm trying to learn Ojibwe, it's extremely difficult for me because all my pathways are geared towards English, right? So we want to be able to expose children when they're young while their brain has that kind of elasticity or that, that kind of ability to learn and adapt and shape more than we can as an adults and are kind of fixed in our way. You know, one thing that I've learned too, and you talk about uh, things that you've learned in the past 25 years, one of the things that I've learned especially during uh, these past few months uh, talking to you guys, is that, you know, we think of fetal alcoholism um, syndrome as like, oh, my gosh, this person is really, you know, not going to be too successful in their life. But we found in the last few years that in, this, in what you're talking about, language and things, there's different there's different. Um, different ways to teach these young ones and it really helps them out. And it's not like as fatal. I, I, I can't come up with any other word, but it's not as fatal as it once was. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think too, it hits on, there are multiple different ways of learning. And even, you know, back in the day, if your child had down syndrome, they would say, Oh, they can't learn anything. And now we see so many people with down syndrome being incredibly successful working you know, completing high school. And so I think that just focusing on those early years is critically important and providing all kids a super rich language experience and a super rich cultural experience is really critical. 
Yeah, exactly. And and doing the the language and uh, at the same time you're teaching culture um, is so important. Um, and I'm just really happy. I mean, I'm 62 and I didn't have this experience and I'm just so happy our little ones are. I was a, I'm a former high school teacher and um, I'm really happy for our next generation coming up behind us. Um, and they're really excited and they have a lot of opportunity uh, to do this. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> So, so if, <laughs> go ahead. If I could interject um, to oh, add to that, um, you know, as humans, we're we're programmed um, to, you know, we're programmed for connection and we're programmed for affection and communication naturally. And so, um, what I wanted to say, especially about this this idea of um, interventive behaviors or thing or like intentional behaviors and and things that are going to help set people up whether it's language or whether it's like um resetting and supporting folks with any kinds of debilitating cognitive deficits like you mentioned fetal alcohol syndrome when people believe that interventive practices work they interact differently with the people that are like the target audience right so like like tammy had mentioned that you know we know things now that we would have never been able to implement or under, understand and then implement and, and change how we may be parented or change anything about how we interacted with our children, you know, that that far back. Um, the I wanted to mention something about the, um, yeah, so the, the, the language, hearing more than one language for children, it is not a, a new thing for children to be multilingual. And it's a very common thing in, um, I would say, on the African continent in Europe, it's very, um, it's a very normal thing for people to have like a, a national language and then other languages, um, uh, in order to, in order to, in order to function. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of business being done, done amongst different countries. And so, um, uh, on a call today, I just heard, you know, and it really stuck with me that, um, the United States is notoriously a monolingual, you know, country. And so it's been a, it's been, um, there's a couple of things like, you know, later on in the conversation that I like to mention about how, um, how intervention and supporting language revitalization efforts are not just about implementation in preschool or implementation um, in a tribal setting, but also just there's a lot of work that's being that's that's being done with external, you know, um, American programs and partners, and then also internal tribal partners. Wow, that that's a really good point, and uh, you know, it's it's easy for us and the way I've been taught. Because again, you know, the colonized way is that we're we're above it all, and you should learn English, and and this is the language, and come and assimilate, and um, you know, it, that's really a great 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 thing to to bring up is that that's not the way other countries uh, uh, do it. Mm -mm. Can I add to that? Um, there's this um, this mist there's this mystifying um, you know thing that comes with language, so. So there's this um, belief that has been like we've been indoctrinated with this belief that Anishinaabe knowledge and wisdom is not valid. And that's because the um, success measures are all measured in English and they're all measured monetarily and they're all measured with expansion and growth. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that um, I think that the 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 
the disheartening piece is that we've been convinced that our, our language is not valid. Therefore, the cultural practices and our relationships with the natural world are then not valid. And so we're raised um, generationally with a belief that that's, that's how things are. And I think that um, language learning is much, much more than just being able to um, express something in a different uh, language other than English. Hey, I'm going to stop you right there. This is a really great conversation we're having here. And we're talking, you know, about our little ones and language and how how things can really expand and, and make our, our little ones' uh, minds grow. And so I, I'm really uh, excited. We are talking with a couple of real doers out here. So I just want to uh, say take a quick break here. And uh, you're listening to Native Ritz Radio Presents I'm awake and we'll be right back after this short break. Please stay with us. You're listening to Native Roots Radio. This is Spirit from Reservation Dogs. Get up and listen. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio presents I'm awake and this is Robert Pilot. Native Roots Radio is excited to be partnering with Little Moments Count to host conversations focused on early childhood development. So we have guests here tonight uh, from the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe talking about uh, early childhood guests and we'll be, or excuse me, about early childhood projects that they have going, uh, especially with language development for Ojibwe. And we'll be welcoming monthly guests to talk about how they view the role of early education development in creating bright futures and strong communities. Hey, thank you, Ogama. Hey, we are on the Civic Media Network, which is all over Turtle Island. And I want to ask or ask you to tell us about uh, the Mille Lacs Band Ojibwe. We have a lot of people all over the country listening to us, and they're not as cool as I am that know about these Minnesota tribes, even though I'm Ho-Chunk and, you know, we're the sacred voice. Uh, so, Tammy, can you talk a little bit about that or both you guys talk about that? Uh, what, who are you guys? <laughs> Uh, well, I think Bob Etel is probably a better person to answer, but it, the Mille Lacs Band is an Ojibwe tribe, one of seven. I hope I'm getting that right. Yes, seven in the state of Minnesota. And um, it's located in central Minnesota on a checkerboard reservation, which means the land, you know, the reservation lands all spread out. And for an example, for early childhood, there are three sites that they provide early childhood in, in, in District 1 at the main the main area near Onamia, out near McGregor, and then farther out, way close to the Wisconsin border um, in Ajimug. So, and then again, Anji Bamadazing provides services all over too. So I think that there are around 4,500 band members. Um, I don't have the breakdown of how many live in the state, but most of them live in the state of Minnesota, and then some, of course, all over. And I'll just let Bobby tell Phil any other information. I'll, I'll add to that. Uh, we are located on the southwest. Um, our main district is located on the southwest side of the Mille Lacs Lake, located in central Minnesota. And um, like Tammy mentioned, we have um, other communities, other districts um, that um, at, a, at a certain point when reservations were being established, um, there were a number of different bands that aggregated to, to create the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe. 
And so um, when our reservation was established, that is um, what happened. I won't go into the the whole history of that, but um, um, that's who we are. We are, um, I'll just say that we're um, recognized, I would say nationally and without tooting any horns um, to be, um, to be leaders in self-governance when that became a thing. Um, uh, uh, we are big on diplomacy. We are big on, um, you know, being a part of a national conversations to support the well-being of not only Ojibwe people, but Anishinaabe people across the country. Um, so that that's who we are. Um, we are part a, a part of the Minnesota Chippewa tribe, which, um, which is uh, the six constituent bands, um, not counting Red Lake. Um, and uh, I think that that's who we are, Ojibwe Anishinaabe people. That's a good one. Oh, I just found out, um, and uh, I have to always bite my tongue, but I found out uh, just a, a couple months ago that I have some Ojibwe blood too. And uh, that's, yeah, easy, easy. <laughs> the Lieutenant Governor really loved it when I told her that. Uh, it's just like, hey, 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 easy. See, I, think I, do. I knew there was something I liked about you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's so you guys are doing exciting work with the, the Mlax Band. And um, so we talked a little bit what the childhood education looks like, but that's it. Can we dig a little deeper into that? Uh, what, what uh, you know, we're talking generally about language, about people. What is what are you exactly? Let's dig a little deeper in that. What are you exactly doing um, about childhood education up there? Can I start that off, Tammy? Sure. Oh man, I have a really, I have a great one. So, so Tammy, Tammy, I like to, I like to honk her horn. Uh, she is our resident Head Start expert, and and she has been a part of understanding Head Start, how it works, and how to implement it. Um, and and it really is. Um, highly knowledgeable in all the Malax band governance processes that helps move things forward um, that we're that we're building within the Head Start um, framework, right? So um, I'll, I'll just say that prior to um, joining and creating um, um, an immersion setting within the Head Start um, in the Early Childhood Center that, that Tammy oversaw and developed, um, I was in a master apprentice program and I was paired up with fluent speakers part of the week. And I, and I just, I came to Tammy and I'm like, Hey, I want to, I want to try to figure this out. So I was plugged into a preschool classroom where I just, I witnessed and I was exposed to, you know, lead teachers and assistant teachers supporting children, um, with all types of, you know, very basic behaviors and trying to like show them age appropriate, um, uh, uh, age appropriate experiences and then trying to get them to hit certain benchmarks, right? Get them ready for kindergarten. Like that's the goal. And to also be a supportive buffer for anything they might be experiencing outside that we don't really have control over. Um, so with that, I, I really wasn't the best student. I didn't know how to be like a great language student. I, I struggled, I guess you could say, with the idea of like believing in fluency because that's something that has has zero has not happened. Like in in my generation, we have one or two, three fluent speakers or proficient speakers of the language that are that are younger than like. Um, in their 50s or 60s, right? So, um, so struggling with that, but being exposed to the classroom over time, we we're ready to move into like an immersion space once we like really got um, uh, kind of co more confident. Um, and so, 
with the um, su support of Tammy and um, the the and the fruition of a of a whole early childhood child's early childhood center that was um, renovated and expanded from six classrooms to seventeen classrooms, um, we I just ran with that and I tried to make sure that I had a space and. You know, I wanted to make sure that um, that little Anishinaabe children knew and understood and were exposed to fluent speakers um, because we have the recipe, right? We have all of the, the components. We have fluent speakers. We have the facility. We have the self-governance and, and self-determination. We have, um, you know, I was I'm very passionate and still very passionate. And then we had a very supportive ally in Tammy. And with that, we were able to um, mobilize that immersion classroom. And um, I can let Tammy talk a little bit more about that. But the early childhood piece, um, we've always had a really excellent program. And, uh, and we we made it even even better by offering, um, you know, Ojibwe language immersion experience for preschoolers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll turn yeah, I think what it takes sometimes is just saying yes. So Bobito came to me and she's like, I want to do immersion. And um, I didn't even really know her that well. And I was like, okay, I think we could do it. And really, we went into it knowing nothing about immersion. So I just want to say that straight off the bat. We like basically knew almost nothing. And so we had some bumps and bruises along the way. But I think it was still successful. And uh, Bobito was learning language as she was teaching it to the kids. She's a great fluent speaker now, much more than she was then. So it's sometimes a learning curve for the teachers as it is with the kiddos. Um, and at that time, we had four, four grandmas who worked with our program and they would come in every, well, Monday through Thursday and they would be available so that Bobito could ask questions and they would go to visit other Head Start classrooms and they would go into the immersion classroom. And those grandmas were just like a really great resource for the whole program. Um, you know, when people had cultural questions, then some, we, someone would go ask the grandmas. Typically it was me or Bobito. You know, someone would go ask the grandmas those, that question. But I think building some of those resources into your programs is a great way to start language and culture, like having having the grandmas, having Bobito, and sometimes just saying yes to things, even when you're not really sure how they work and just trying to figure it out as you go along. Wow, that's exciting. Bobito, uh, do, you, do you feel like I've heard uh, as an adult here, and I'm just shifting gears here, one way too to learn our language is, is replace it, whether it's once a week or once a day, Learn what that word means and then never use it again in English. I mean, uh, have you heard anything like that? Yes. And um, and I've also been supported when I was in my early stages and not um, not knowing how to like put words and phrases together or memorize things that um you know, the, the words that we use most frequently throughout the day, especially as parents, like put your shoes on, put your food away, you know, put wash your, wash your hands, brush your teeth, things that we're going to say repeatedly to children. Um, those are the things that are things you want to learn first. And so once you have those down, your body, um, your, your body, your mind, your palate, everything connects so that those things start coming out more effortlessly. And then, um, and then as you are able to have like, main commands down um you can you can make you know you, you can manipulate it and make it what you need to make it um so that you can add color to what you're what you're trying to express 
Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a really, really good point. Uh, wow, I, I like that, and especially if you're talking to little ones that are that are learning this language, it's so important. And uh, you know, we have a lot of people uh, commenting, and it's just awesome. About I, I see Nina has said, uh, even if kids understand the language, they hear it all the time. They can't always speak it, but they hear it. And I know that's that's the first step, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'll let Tammy comment on that, but it's a natural progression for language um, learning. Speech development is to have receptive language before you have productive language. Um, so that's completely normal. And that's why you're going to find a lot of adult Anishinaabe people that say, and this is a common thing, um, I can understand it. I can understand a lot of it, but I can't speak it. And that's, there's a belief there that that there's I'll say there's an intergenerational trauma thing that happens about like not being able to speak it right that's kind of something that's unspoken and and doesn't we don't really go there often but also there's that part where yeah you understand it because you watched and witnessed language and you watched and witnessed people behave in the language and and function in the language so you knew exactly what was happening similar to a toddler when you tell a toddler to do something at two years old and then they don't do it and they laugh and they run away they understood you you know they understood you (laughs) uh, I'll, i'll let tammy speak more to the speech part if she has anything to comment Hey, Tammy, why don't we uh, hold out on that? We got to take a quick break and then we'll we'll come back. But I'd love to, to jump into that a little more if you don't mind. Sure, no problem. Excellent. Wow, I got some powerhouse guests here, Ogama. Wow, you're listening to Native Ritz Radio Presents I'm Awake. And we'll be back after this short break. Uh, please stay with us. <laughs> We only got a few minutes left, and this has just been uh, really a lear- big learning experience for me. I'm with Tammy uh, Wickstrom, and uh, also uh, I got to work on your name, Baba Tao. Bobby Tao, yeah. Bobby Tao. Wow, darn, so close. Hey, uh, I want to ask you, uh, what do you do? You have any advice for the educating uh, end of this uh, childhood educators for teaching Native? And I think that's really really kind of, uh, we have a lot of allies, white allies listening to the show all over Turtle Island. And I think uh, that's a really, uh, I didn't come up with that question, but that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, can I answer first, Bobby, are you okay? But Absolutely. yeah, I think that a lot of things that you can do again is go back to the, just say yes. But I also think that you have to also educate teachers. Just like I said, Bobby Tao was learning as she learned with her students you can't expect your teachers to teach about Ojibwe language or culture if they don't know anything about it. And, and they could be Ojibwe and not know anything about it because some people weren't raised that way, right? And so we need to put that into like even professional development and we need to make it a goal. We used to have a goal, which is really kind of a small goal, but we had a goal for our staff to learn 10 Ojibwe words every year, which is super small, you know, in a language. But that was like a continuing ongoing goal is like every year you just add to your language. And I think that could be a goal for teachers in, you know, tribal Head Start all across the country is, you know, I'm going to learn more myself. I'm going to add words to my vocabulary. I'm going to learn those common phrases like um, Bob Utah talked about, like, um, you know, sit down, let's eat, um, you know, line up for the door, like all those things that you might need and learn them. And another thing that we did 
we have fallen away, but we need to start doing again is label stuff. You know, label the chair with the Ojibwe word, label the door with the Ojibwe word. Um, and ask the parents what their children's Ojibwe name is and that they can use their Ojibwe name instead of their English or, or white name or whatever, you know, so that you could use that if that's what the parents would like. And then another thing we did, um, I'm going to say that Bobito headed that, but we held a big mass naming ceremony one time at Early Ed for a bunch of the families whose kids didn't have a naming uh, Ojibwe name. Oh. So, you know, there's lots of little things that you can do to support it. And I'll let Bobito add into that. <clears throat> so to, to comment just on the naming, um, it was not anything that was it, like thrown together or like, um, you know, uh, Debenach, right? So, but it was something that the fluent speaker and namer was able to make themselves available for the whole day and so we had families come in bring their own food bring their tobacco bring their kids and then be Beijing like one at a time they um we just look we were there for like 15 hours trying to get them all through and I think we did like 40 kids one year and we like and adults came you know like parents and grandparents even came to get named who missed out on that for for whatever reasons um but going back to like um what would you say to education professionals at this point and I to get to like open the floodgate is um is like tammy said just say yes find a way to say yes find a way to say yes and um uh there aren't any restrictions on on federal funds as far as like head start and early head start the the head start performance standards allow for um mon for immersion for ojibwe language support for or for um anishinaabe language revitalization support in the classroom and um and and think about what kinds of policy changes you can make, what kind of legislation changes you can make within your own tribal government to support your own language revitalization efforts instead of relying on this like guardian ward relationship that we have with the federal government to make sure that they're providing for us. We need to provide for ourselves first and we need to take initiative first as a people. That would be one thing when it comes to like individual support for a teacher it would be like if I was talking to an administrator, I would say, please make sure that there's time for them to study. Please make sure that there's time for them to to decompress, because to think in another language that you don't fully know is so challenging. And to try to express that to children who don't understand, that's a whole nother challenge because preschoolers are a challenge and it takes a special person to work in preschool as it is in English in a language that the children understand already. So um, so I would say uh, opportunities and support for any professional development, both second language acquisition and um, any work that they can have with fluent speakers in their community to make that make that happen because um, language death is a real thing and I know that there may be people listening who do not have living fluent speakers anymore and my heart goes out to them um, the people who have fluent speakers living right now need to take advantage uh, need to take advantage of that because if we don't have language maintenance where we're making as many fluent speakers as we are that are passing then we are going to experience this place where we don't have any fluent speakers left for those of us who do at this point so um and that's where the real hard work starts one of my mentors told me um McGizzy, he told me like that's when it that's when it's going to get hard right mm -hmm. so um so i would say that like find a way to say yes Find a way to champion it, support your support it, and no matter how challenging it is, it is fundamentally right 
to teach Anishinaabe children the language that is intended for them. It's for their spirit. It's for their religious rituals, even if they're not familiar with them. Their spirit knows, right? And 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 so that's what I would um, to, to and to not believe that our language is not valid, our knowledge is not valid. To know that we can be smart and um, intellectual Anishinaabe people in more than one language. Mm-hmm. Wow, Bobby T. That that's uh, Bobby Tao. That's uh, awesome. I. I, what really hit me too, what you both were talking about, is the community, uh, the community involvement. Um, to have a naming ceremony, to have the community in there, and I'm sure there was, there was food and laughter and and things that make it in a good way that really, really makes our hearts sore. And I know um, I had a relative who found out uh, that they're a relative and went to a powwow, and um, she started crying when she heard the drum. Mm-hmm. And just to experience that secondhand and watching somebody that's spirit hits deep, I just have to uh, just agree 100% with what you just said there about, you know, it's it's our right, you know, to know these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd like to make one more comment before we wrap up. For those individuals that may be education professionals and are maybe have some skeptical, like, feelings about whether it's going to be supportive or whatever, 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 whether it's going to make the children ready for kindergarten or ready for first grade. There, there's lots of research out there that shows that mm-hmm. children after five or six years of immersion from preschool to say first, second and third grade, that they are as uh, they perform as good and better oftentimes than their mainstream educated peers. And the reason for that is that you have multiple things happening when you're learning more than one language in the brain. It really is a strengthening thing, even though we talked earlier about there's a lot of silence at first because they are really trying to figure it out. They are trying to figure out that, like, if you're hearing two different languages and your brain doesn't know what's going on, it's going to take some time and it will happen it's proven to happen. There's research on it. Um, so those people who may be skeptical about it, please do your do your work. Do the work that the good work um, of believing in what you were given as a as a people. Um, that that is what that's at the end of the, at the end of the day. That's what we rely on. You know. Um, wow. I, yeah. Yeah, there it is. Tammy, uh, we only got a minute left. Do you have any uh, last thoughts? Thank you. Uh, that's a, that was an amazing statement, by the way. I'm kind of I'm kind of uh, a little emotional about that. Thank you. And Tammy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to say that if you are looking for support in Ojibwe or you want to learn Ojibwe, I'm just going to throw this out there that Anjiba Matazing and the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe with the support of the tribe has developed Ojibwe for Rosetta Stone and the first level is out and you can sign up for it. And if you are um, enrolled in a federal tribe or a first nations, Canada individual, it's only $25 to access the program, which is very minimal. So, and, and it's available for anyone, anybody can purchase it. And that's at Anji.org. I think Bobby Tao put it in the chat, but I, I just want to say that that's a great tool. We just launched it this year. We've only had it out hmm, maybe eight or nine months, something like that. And so, you know, I think that's another way is if you're really interested in teaching language to little kids, start trying to learn it yourself. Perfect. Thank you. And we'll be back tomorrow. Thank you so much for uh, stopping in and being great guests. Thank you so much. Miigwech.
Thanks for listening to the Little Moments Count radio podcast in partnership with community radio stations throughout Minnesota. You can find the Little Moments Count radio podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at littlemomentscount.org slash podcast.